We've been talking about one another. You and I, we, 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 come, we come to church to, to worship. We come to pray and we come to be prayed for. And, and there's several reasons we come to church. But I need you to understand that one of the highest priorities why you're here is the person next to you. In fact, we don't really fulfill what God has asked us to do if we don't focus on the person next to us. Loving one another is more than just a command. It, it really is a, a way that we measure our intensity and our desire for God. For you can't love somebody else without first receiving from God, for God is love. And that when we love someone with strength and we love someone with encouragement and we love them sacrificially, that all speaks of the love that flows through our life into other people. And so the very act of me just loving you, you can know how much I'm connected to the Father. We're going to talk about that this morning. Can I tell you that there's, there's no greater quality and characteristic a church can have than a church that loves one another. I, I want a church that is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I want a church that impacts the community. I want a, a church that's generous in its giving, but above all those things, I want a church that loves one another because I believe in my whole heart that there is no other real church that exists. A church that is called the body of Christ is a church that is in love with one another because he's in love with you. Father, I pray, Lord, get our hearts ready. We want this joy. Sometimes it's difficult to have love for one another. And so I pray, God, this morning as we as we get our hearts ready, God, to hear your word, Father, would you show us, Lord, exactly what that means? Would you show us, Lord, how to walk it out and talk it out, God, and not just something that we, that we live day by day, God, wondering if we have the capacity to truly love other people, God, because people are difficult. But, Lord, what we need from you is you. What we need is a God who is love and that God overflows through us into other people. Most importantly, God, difficult people. And so I pray today, God, prepare hearts, get us ready, that we might be able to communicate to the world a love that looks just like you, the love that you have with the Father. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want you to know that there is such a thing as fakeness. There's such a thing as uh, replicates and duplication and things that would mimic and imitate stuff. I don't know if y'all ever decide not to spend the money and you bought the cheap stuff, the things with the fake logos before. You know how fake logo, <laughs> you know what kind of product comes on with fake, la fake logos attached to it, right? You get, you get fake products. Those things aren't real. Uh, I've never bought fake Nikes in my life, uh, but I've seen the Hikes before. Uh, <laughs> I've seen the uh, Daddy Moss, you know, which is the Adidas uh, logos before. There's something about those when I see it trying to look like the real thing, I'm already alarmed. When I see that 
fake swoosh or those fake three stripes. You know, when you see those fake logos, there's something about it that goes, hmm, I don't know. That don't look right to me. They don't, it don't feel right to me. And, and even though it's cheaper, even though it costs you less, you still are worried about buying fake stuff because you know how fake stuff performs. Can I tell you that God has a logo? God has a trademark. God has a, a characteristic that we know him by. And that thing is love. It's his love. It's how we can identify. It's how people can look into your life and they know something's not like this. He's got the high key. You got the Nike. What, what is different from you? Why is what? You're one of those. You're one of those. Because you just love people. <laughs> I don't understand you. I don't know why you love people. But there's just something about you that loves people. John 13, 31 through 35 says this. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you. I need you to stop I need you to highlight that. It's important for you to know where that's at in Scripture. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. You carry my logos. You bear my trademark. You are my characteristics if you have love for one another. This is how the Lord knows that we belong to God, that we are a product of his love, is that we are actually caring for other people, loving for other people. It's how they set us apart. It's how you can, it's how you can walk into a, a, a situation and know, is God real in this moment? Is God in this, is God in this person? How can I discern? The power of discernment is a great gift that we all should have. But can I tell you that on the, on the base level, Knowing someone's love for God will help you get a long way. You can have conversations with people. They're going to tell you really quick where their heart is. You know, conversations always drift to the things that are most important in people's lives. A lot of times you'll find that talking to people, it'll end up on them. But you know how it is when you talk to people and all of a sudden now you're talking about Scripture and you're talking about God. And you're like, man, this, this is kind of a cool conversation. We're, 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 we were over here. Now we're all the way here on God. Because... There is a, a, a love for God in that person. Five times the word glorify is used here. God is, is, is in the business of marketing himself. And in this glorification uh, component, he is simply using that as his ad campaigns. The best way for me to under, explain it to you, if, if love is his logo and salvation is his product, then you should know that the ad campaign is glorifying the Son. Jesus in his greatest hour was broadcasting through all the ages when he was asking the Father to glorify his Son so that he may, so the Son may glorify the Father. Here's what he says in John 17, 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up to his, his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. This is the, this is the hour. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that you may, that your Son may glorify you. We are in the business of reconciliation. Salvation is the product. Love is the logo, and the campaign is glorifying Christ. 
That's what we're here to do. The love has a different, love is a different definition in terms of the world. Notice what the world says. By definition, love is an intense feeling or deep affection. I love my wife. I love my family. I love my God. I have a, an intense feeling of deep affection for them. Uh, it also says that it's a great interest and pleasure in something. I love fall. Me and Kevin were just talking about that. I love fall. I love Razorback football with an SEC championship appearance. I love those things. Amen? I love good chili on a cold day with overcast cloud. Cast cloud. I love I love a fall on the farm hayride. You know how that is. I love not being single and being on a good hayride. You know, like I can love on somebody because you was you was single that time and just looking at your friends and like, man, she's short. You know, you you've been that lonely moment, hadn't you? I I love but I love it. All tells me this is that all those things are just telling me how I feel about it. How I feel about it. But biblical love is different. There's only one type of love that's biblical. John 13, 34 says this, a new commitment I give to you, that you love one another just, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. Biblical love is, the, is loving others the way Christ loved us. Mm. That's a big step up. That's a big step up. Jesus loved us with compassion. Jesus loved us with sacrifice. Jesus loved us righteously. Biblical love is compassionately or mercifully. Righteously, which means no malice but right intent, and sacrificially at our own personal cost, caring for the well-being of others. But even more than that, it's not just um, righteously and sacrificially and, and compassionately loving someone. Most importantly, where biblical love... And the world's definition of love parts ways is that biblical love is this. Are y'all ready? It's a decision to love. It's not a feeling, but it's what you decide. It's what you decide. It's what you wake up this morning and say, I'm going to love them today. <laughs> I'm going to love my boss today. I'm going to love that person that takes uh, my spot in line. And I'm going to love that. I'm going to love her one more time. It's a decision. And the fact that it's a commandment removes that. That, that discretion as a part of what we think is our opportunity to like something or not like something. Because he says, a new commandment I give to you. That command tells us to make a decision. In the face of how you feel, he's saying, make a decision. So here's this. Biblical love is the decision to compassionately and righteously care for the well-being of others, even at the expense of personal cost to us. Man, so when we say we want to love as Christ loves, that's a, to me, that's huge. It's not, I cannot do this. This is not in Scott's ability. I don't have the capacity to do that. I, I, I love y'all, but you know what? I can't love y'all like that without Jesus. It just ain't going to happen. Luke 6, 32 to 33 says this. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. 
And then he demonstrated his principle, his teaching like this. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What we see is this. Here's the contrast. That God and the sinner are completely different. They are absolutely different from each other. One is giving and the other is receiving. Sinners can't become like God, and so God became like them. He who knew no sin became sin. God loving the sinner is him leaving his place of lofty heights that he might come down or descend down to the depths of where you and I are. That is the love that we're talking about. This was the love that he demonstrated and didn't just give us the command. He says, let me tell you, but let me show you also. It's possible for us. And that he made that decision for scripture says that he was slain before the foundations of the earth. That meant before you were even a product or had significance or any kind of worth that we would derive on our own, which really is nothing anyway. He decided to love you knowing that you would abandon him and reject him and he would have to redeem you by his own blood and his own cost. He decided when he woke up that morning, which I don't think he wakes up because he never sleeps and never slumbers but when he decided that day i'm gonna love them anyway god is not asking you to do something he has not already done it himself and if he can do it then you can do it because we don't live on our own power we don't even have our own life anymore last time i checked when i read romans it says his life in me he died so I, he could live in me. I died, the de- I died to, to, um, uh, in, my, in my faith to him so he could live through, his spirit could live in me. So I am not really living Scott's life. I can't live Scott's best life. Really what I'm hoping that Christ is doing is that he's living his life that he desires through me. God decided to love us even when we were unlovable. So let me ask you, who is it in your life that is unlovable. Who is it that you come in contact to when you don't want to come in contact with them? That passive aggressive side comes out in you and you just, you just, <laughs> nah, yep, let's keep on going. Let's just don't talk to that person. Let's don't mention them. Let's don't call them. Let's just go around them. Let's don't email them. Let's don't see them at the meeting. Let's sit, let's sit where we don't have to look at them. Let, how, who is it in your life that you don't want to love? Because maybe they're there because they were ordained to be in your life. Could it be that the person you don't want in your life, God is allowed to be in your life for a purpose? Because if everyone in your life was someone you loved and you respond to them in love, How are you truly loving someone since the sinner can do that? But biblical love is making a decision to love people that you don't want to love. Here's the good thing about that. I can freely admit because of this principle, the Lord says, Scott, it's okay for you to admit there's some folks that you don't want to love. That's the the first part. (laughs) I can admit that. I still have to decide to, to love them. And so here's what I want you to understand is that biblical love definition introduces the need to decide. A new, a new command I give you. A decision is made when two choices are given. And Jesus says you're no different from the world when you just love those who love you. And so therefore the definition of biblical love is to decide to love others who do not love you. So are you loving biblically? Are you loving people 
who, who don't love you, and you have a hard time, are you, are you loving them? Why should I love them? Why is that so important? Because keeping this new commandment he gives us, um, uh, that he gives us is how we show love for God. John 14, 15 says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. A new command that I give you that you love one another. If you love me, you'll keep that command right there. If you love me. And so keeping Jesus' commandments is how we show love for him. So notice this. I'm going to slow. I don't want to lose you in all of this. Our decision to love horizontally is actually our decision to love vertically. Because as I choose to love horizontally, I know that I'm loving him because I'm keeping his commandment. So therefore, my decision to love this way is actually a decision to love this way. You following me? It's an important principle here. Because our ability to love others is determined by our ability to love God since God is love. Our ability to love other people can only be there because of God's love in our life. But our decision to love God is determined by our decision to love others, thus keeping the new commandment. So then here we would see this, is that therefore our ability to love God, our ability to love God is determined by our decision to love others. Your ability to love God is determined by your decision to love others. It is not determined by your decision to love God. So how do I love God more? How am I able to love God more, experience God more? It's this way. It's this way. We always think it's prayer, it's devotion, it's worship. And those things are absolutely fundamental. Don't let me get me wrong on that at all. But you must understand is that as we're trying to go this way, really it's about going this way. This way. And so our capacity to experience God is determined by our decision to love others. I want you to hear what I'm saying when I say that. That our capacity, our ability. Ability to, to take hold of who God is and what God does and how God does through us, how he changes us, how he makes us something altogether other. All of that is based on our decision to love others for our vertical love and our vertical experience is when we choose to love other people. So what does this mean? It means that that abiding in God is, is, is what we're really talking about. John 15, 4 through 5, we see this principle happening here. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. To abide in God is to make the decision to keep his commandment. If you love me, if you want to be with me, then keep my, my commandment. Well, what's your commandment, Lord? To love other people. If you want to abide with me, you got to love other people. Well, well God, I can't really love this person. Mm, well, we're going to have a problem with the abiding. We're going to have a problem with the abiding. But when we choose that and we make that decision to righteously, sacrificially, and compassionately love somebody, 
then we are choosing to abide in God. And the capacity to bear much fruit is determined by the branch's ability to abide in the vine. All those things that we want God to do through us. All of those things we want to happen in us and in and around our, our lives, in our family's life, that is the bearing of fruit is based off how well we're abiding in the vine. And the abiding in the vine is how well we are loving other people, other branches, and not trying to choke them out. That's why when you make the decision to love one another, you've actually made the decision to abide, which means you've made the decision to bear much fruit. So what is, why is bearing fruit so important? John 15, 8 says this, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. When we bear fruit, we glorify the Father. We glorify the Father because we glorify the Son. And what we don't really understand is that there's something that is so far eternal and ethereal and other happening at this moment that we don't realize we're kind of part of what we call, well, uh, uh, um, C.S. Lewis called the dance of the, of the Trinity, that the Father is loving the Son, the Son is loving the, the Father, and the Holy Spirit's loving both of them at the same time. And they're all kind of just saying, glorify the Son, or glorify the Father, or glorify the Holy Spirit. And they're all just going around because they're all the same. They're all equal. But they're all loving each other. And so here's what you need to know. From a 30,000-foot view, here's what's happening in Trinity. A long time ago, way before you and I were ever here, there was this dance that was happening. The Father says, I love the Son so much, I want to bequeath a gift to him. I want to give a gift to him, and that gift is all of creation. I want to give you the creation, Son. And Jesus says, you know, for me to receive this creation, I just can't, I just, I'm like that person with that talent. I just can't have creation. I got to make this thing better. I can't just have creation the way it is. And so Jesus, to make creation um, honor the Father, he redeems creation. He redeems creation, and as he redeems creation and he gives his life up on the cross, he is loving the Father. And so then you have the Holy Spirit who is applying the seal of redemption to every believer. And so every time that, that the Holy Spirit, when someone comes in and they change their life and they give their life to Christ, what is happening is, is that that person is being set apart of the big dance, of the big plan. And that God is being loved because the Father gave the gift, the Son redeemed the gift, and the Holy Spirit is applying the redemption for the gift. And all of this is happening to the glory of God. But even greater than that. Because while that is all happening, you must understand is that the reason why that's so important is that our righteousness is really Christ's righteousness. Our ability to love God and to honor him and give him glory is really based on Christ's righteousness. I can't approach God. I can't give God what he deserves because my righteousness is filthy rags, so I can't come before him. But because Jesus died on the cross, he has allowed me to, to have his righteousness imputed. In fact, the word says this, that the Father has taken me and put me in Christ Jesus. And so when I go before Christ or before the Father, I now am in Christ's righteousness, which is greater than Adam's righteousness. Because Adam was perfect, but Adam wasn't redeemed. There's a difference there. You see, Adam's perfection and Adam's righteousness was less than Christ's righteousness. 
Because if God created Adam and his righteousness was the same as Christ, then he would have created righteousness that was equal to Christ, which means he could have created another God. He could create righteousness equal to Christ, which means holiness equal to Christ, which means he could have created um, um, uh, power and, and, and knowledge equal to Christ, which means he could have created another God, but he didn't. He created Adam, who was perfect. He was without spot, right, without blemish. He was perfect in that way. But you see, when Jesus died on the cross, he took us and put us in Christ's righteousness. So now you and I, we walk and glorify God with a greater righteousness. All that to say is that when you and I live our lives out, we are actually better than when we were first created. And all of this is glorifying God even greater. And that is the goal. So let me break it all the way back down to the love. Because some of y'all are like, we got lost on theology one-on-one -on -one right there, Scott. Let me break it all the way back down. Because when you love somebody else, when you love someone else, that is actually Christ in you loving that person. When you love those people who, who are hard to love and difficult to love, when you make a decision to biblically love someone else, you are leaning and drawing on God's love to love through you. And that leaning on and loving, on, uh, loving somebody else is really a part of the whole process where we are actually relying upon Christ's righteousness to be glorified in the relationship that should not have been had I not been saved. Are you following me today? So you take that person that you struggle with. How do you struggle with them? God can do through you something you never could possibly do. And the reason why he longs to do this through you is that he might glorify himself. One last thing I want to leave with you today is this. That's the vertical effect. that We are glorifying God by loving other people. But there's also a horizontal effect that happens. That's the bearing of fruit. Turn with me to John 15, 7. Notice what he says here. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Whatever you wish and it will be done for you. John 15, 16 says this. You do not choose me, but I choose you and appoint you that you should go and bear fruit and that, you, uh, and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give it to you, so, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. First John 3, 21 through 23 says this, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. So do you notice this, this trend here? Whatever you wish, and it will be done for you, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Do you see what this is? This is answered prayer. That's what that is. Have you ever prayed a prayer that hadn't been answered yet? This is answered prayer. The Lord is telling us right here, our prayers being answered are a direct result of loving one another. If we can learn and understand what it is to love one another, because the whole point of him answering our prayers is so that people might know his love. And my prayer over you 
is that you might be healed or you might be restored or you might be forgiven or whatever it is that you need in your life. But as I pray for you, I exhibit the love of God. And so if I want my prayers to be answered, I need to be loving other people. Let me flip this on its back. First Peter 3, 7, Peter says this to us, husbands. He says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Sowing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. He's talking about loving and honoring your wife. He's not talking about disrespecting your wife. He's saying, do this so that your prayers may not be hindered. Because if you were doing this, if you weren't loving even your own spouse, then your prayers would not be hindered. And can I tell you that a man is not capable of loving other people more than he loves his family? You need to hear that. Now, we can put the show on. We can put the show on. We know how to put the show on. Live the whole life in the show. Know how to, put the sh- know how to believe you and make you believe it all day long. But at the, at the end of the day, when you really get into my flesh and you find out who Scott Brandon is, you're going to know I'm going to treat you just like I treat my family. You're going to find that eventually. Every man does that. All of us do that. The people we love the most, the people we're the real most to, right? And so we see here is that for us to really have our prayers answered and them to not be hindered, we must be loving other people. And is there a place that we might go and practice love for one another? Can I tell you, Hebrews 10, 19 to 25 says this. Let me just jump down to the very end. Sorry, ladies. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good, love and good works. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love, to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Can I tell you the most difficult place for you to love are the people inside the church? You know why? Because you have high expectations for them. They're saved, they're in their right mind, they know what's right, and they did me wrong. Right? I came, I gave my life, I paid my tithes, I invested in them, I treated them with respect, I shook their hand at the door, and yet they did that to me. How in the world? Now, if the world did that to me, I would understand, but you're supposed to be saved. You're supposed to be holy. You're supposed to have Christ's righteousness. Are you the pastor? How can you offend me? How, how can you not walk anything less than perfect, you know? I hope you know you did not, you did not hire a perfect man. <laughs> because this is the best place to practice loving people. Because these people in here hurt you. And they'll admit it because we're all, we all, we're here because we, we're broke and we know it. We're messed up. We know it. We're trying. But there's still some residue in us. There's still some thorns back there in case you want to get too close. There's still some problems. There's still some unsanctifiedness in there somewhere. I'm still a work in progress. Until I see him, I will never become like him. So until that day, just know, if you get too close to Pastor Scott, I'm going to rib you one of these days. But just know that's not my heart. It may be my personality. It may be I just woke up with a bad day. Coming here and loving people. 
in this church and in this place is where we practice love for one another. I want to leave you with this. Ah, I'm not. I'm not. Where you at, girl? Come back up. Here's how I want us to leave today. This, this, this love, this love for one another is all I really care about for us. It's the most important thing for us. If I can't lead us to a place where we're loving one another, I'm not the man for you. So that's my goal. That's my desire. Here's how I work this. I know that I can't love you until I'm loving my family. And I can't love my family until I'm loving my wife. And I can't love my wife until I'm allowing him to love me. So that's how that works. We talked about priorities in here. That my devotion time is so important because my marriage is so important. Because my family is so important. Because you are so important. Because the people outside this church that are not here today, the lost ones, the ones we leave the 99 for, those are so important. But we'll never experience an overflow of our life until we start with the love of the Father in us and begin to trickle down. So I need you to understand how absolutely essential it is for you to love one another. That means forgiving one another. That means practicing grace. You may not perfect it, but you need to practice it. It means practicing mercy. Grace is giving things people don't deserve. Mercy is not giving them they do. Practice mercy. So today, here's how I want to close. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to ask you this question. Is there someone here today that does not have the love of the Father in them. We were talking about all that love, Pastor Scott, and how we used to love this and love that. And, 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 I, and I, to be honest with you, I've tried to love the world, and, the love didn't lo- and they didn't love me back. I need a love that's lasting. I need someone to decide to love me, not make me earn it. And I'm ready to give my life in acceptance to say, Lord, here I am, no longer running. I'm ready to receive your love. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and show me where you are? I want to pray with you today. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Church, pray with me. Father, you see your child. You know, Lord, that they have tried. You know they try. They're here now because you called them here. You you drew them here. And I pray, Lord, that you would begin a process of teaching them how to love like they've never known before. I pray that they would surrender their life to you, God, in their very own words. God, as they're genuine in their heart and their life, Lord, I pray that they would open up to you. In Jesus' name. I also want to ask you for those who are here as well. If you would slip your hand up and you would say, Pastor Scott, I struggle with this love on another thing. 
I got some issues, and I know, I know there are issues, but I'm trying to deal with those issues. I need to love other people beyond what I have the ability to do. If that's you, will you slip your hand up and just show me who I'm praying for today? Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm. Father, my, my sincere prayer today is this. This is a command, God, and so our hearts are already sensitive to you. What matters in our response is what we do when we walk out of this, these doors. And so, God, I ask you, oh, God, would you show us what you can do? Because we already know what we can do. I pray, Father, for my friends this morning. That whatever bitterness there is or whether, whether there's any unforgiveness or not. I pray, God, you would teach us to love that person in our life. Not based off if they deserve it, if we feel like it. But, God, help us to decide like you decided before the foundations of the earth. Help us to decide to love them like you decided to love us. That even while we were sinners, that Christ died for the ungodly. That was us, Lord. We need your power and your strength to do that today. We ask that you would equip us. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.